0: Well, good morning, Grace Church. It's good to be with you, and obviously last week was Easter weekend, and so it was exciting not only to hear how Easter weekend went, but to celebrate baptisms, which is really cool, uh, not only on any, any given Sunday, but on Easter when uh, Jesus rose again, and so it was neat to hear how last weekend went. My name is Joel, and if I've never met you before, hopefully after the service I get to meet you, and every time I come and speak and, and anywhere I go and speak, I like to update people on my family, and so I'm married to my beautiful. Wife Jessica and we have a four-month-old now. Uh, this week he'll be four months. I guess is how you'll calculate it. Named Corbin, and we've entered a new phase of parenting. Okay, this new like experience of. Parenting, I guess. This last week, my son uh, was congested. And so we hit this like weird phase of like sick, but we don't have to run to the hospital sick. But what do we do sick? Because you can't give him like day quill, night quill. It's a no, no. And we got to figure this out. And so he is extremely congested. And I won't go into all the details of the nastiness, but he couldn't sleep at night. And so there was like, he was moving and shaking and he was pulling eight hours, nine hours straight. And so we were like, hallelujah. And then these nights came, and it was rough. And so we are processing through, how do we help our son? What do we do? And so we went to the classic, like, bulb snot sucker, right? If you're a parent, you know that thing, the snot sucker. And so we went to that because we're trying to just help him out, right? And poor kid, he's just trying to get all the congestion out. And so we went to that. But that was only taking care of, like, minor things in his nose and in his throat and all that stuff. So my wife, I don't know how she found this out or how she does a lot of research. And as a mom, she's figuring this stuff out. I don't know how she came across this. I didn't ask questions. I just listened. And she came across this new snot sucker thing. Okay. And so this snot sucker device, as I will call it, She found online and she went and bought because apparently it's like the newest thing and it's the best thing to help kids with congestion. And this is what it is, okay? I kid you not, this is what it is. There, you pull it out and you put it together and there's a bulb at the end, kind of similar to the classic bulb looking one, but it's a little smaller. And off of that comes this like straw thing, okay? This big straw thing. And on the end of that is kind of this thing you put your your lips on and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to like suck like you're sucking through a straw to get the snot out and so I kid you not because I don't think my wife would do it she's like here I bought this for you and I'm like no this is great and so I put it together and I Put it in his nose, the poor kid, and he's looking at me and he's like, Why, Dad? Why? Why are we doing this? And I put it in and I start sucking the snot out. And so there's two things happening. One is it becomes a torture device for him. He's like, No. And the second is it's disgusting for me. Now, before you get all the images, and I'm not going to go in detail, it doesn't come up through the straw. It's not like I'm. Uh, it's, don't, yeah, I'm not eating it or anything like that. But it's supposed to go into the bulb and stick there. And so it, I haven't had any disgusting stories from that. But that is where we're at. And so if you have any advice for me or if you have any, like, encouragement for me, please, please catch me after service and let me know how you deal with all that stuff. So without going into more detail about kids and all the sickness and stuff, we are in the middle of a series we've uh, looked through the last four weeks called Long Story Short. And what we are doing is we're taking a 30,000-foot view of the Bible. And I I think Pastor Jonathan did a great job the first week. He looked at it and said, what if we looked at it as a puzzle? Right? And in a puzzle, we have all these different kinds of pieces that we pull out, we try to put together. But you cannot effectively put the puzzle together without looking at the picture on the box. You've got to see the big picture. And so this uh, series is basically, we're looking at the picture on the box. What is the big picture of the Bible so that when we get into the pieces, we know how to navigate and put them Together. And we've said this the whole series. Each and every one of us has a long story short. And part of my long story short is when I was in ninth grade, I moved from Indiana, where I lived my whole life, to Ohio. And so in ninth grade, right before my freshman year of high school, maybe three weeks before we moved to Ohio, and I start school. There's actually a picture of me in my freshman year. Look at that. I had hair. Look at that hairstyle. I cut that off, uh, and my wife doesn't want me to go back, and so that was a one-time phase for me, but that was me in ninth grade. I moved here, and I remember going into school, and I was a big football fan, and and football had already started, and so I couldn't jump into the football season. I missed out on that season. Jumping into a new school, a little nervous about meeting new people. I'm an introvert. I wasn't uh, out and about, like, meeting new people like crazy. And so I kind of struggled moving to a new school. And one of the first, uh, first month or month and a half, I heard on the announcements that uh, basketball was having an open gym after school one day. So I'm like, maybe this is my in. Maybe this is how I'll get connected to people. I enjoyed basketball. I was pretty good at basketball. Maybe this is the way to kind of start uh, getting around to different people and, and getting to know people. And so I took note of that. I went home. I told my parents. They're like, yeah, go for it. Go to the open gym. Try it out. See What happens? And so the day of the open gym comes, I pack all my basketball stuff, the shorts, t-shirt, all that good stuff, and I'm ready to go. School comes, and after school, I'm trying to look for the open gym. I got my bag, everything like that, and I'm looking for where the open gym is happening in the high school. Now, you would think, and you would think the easy answer would be, it's in the gym, Joel. And so I went and checked the gym. They weren't in The gym, and so now I'm a little nervous. New kid, don't know many people, don't know what's going on. The open gym that I thought was in the gym is not in the gym, and so I'm kind of panicking, And eventually, I get around to the office, and I figure out that the open gym is in another building. It's in another gymnasium in another building. And so it was only a walk away. It was just a little bit away. So I walk to the gym. I get in. There's other guys there. So I'm like, I must be in the right place. I get all changed, all that stuff. And open gym starts. They start by stretching and warming up. And I had no idea what was coming next. Like, I didn't know what kind of stretches they did. I didn't know how they warmed up. And so I was kind of started off lost because some of these guys had played basketball for a long time and some of us have just kind of jumped into the open gym. So it was a mix of everybody. Now the open gym, what they did was they played a classic five-on-five basketball game. So they just were running down the court and they were playing five-on-five like you would see on TV. And so my time to get into the open gym came, and I went on to one of the teams and I started playing. Now, I was feeling pretty good early on because I blocked a few shots, and as you look at me up here, I am 5'10, and so for me to block some shots is Very impressive, I thought personally. I made some shots. I was throwing the basketball around. I was making passes, all that good stuff. I remember there came a point in the the five on five uh, open gym that I was down near the basketball hoop. I was boxing someone out, as they call it in basketball. And I remember one of the guys on my team looked at me and said, That's not the kind of game we are playing. And I was like so confused. I was, I was like, this is what I see on TV, this is how I play with my brother and my dad, like this, what do you mean this is not how we're playing? They tried to explain to me I was completely lost. I remember afterwards, no one came up to me, no one was like, hey, that was great, or hey, good job, or hey, we were glad that you are here, or those shots were awesome. And as I went home that day and kind of debriefed my, with my parents, I'm like, I don't really want to go back. Like, I... I didn't feel like I fit in there. I was on the outside. All these guys had played for a long time. And what I experienced is how I viewed that basketball team and being a part of the basketball team. This is many times how church is for a lot of people. That church walking into this experience, walking into the service, into the building, can oftentimes lead to something that can be confusing What's happening? Why is it happening? It can feel isolating. Like, am I the only one that struggles with these things? Am I the only outsider that is here? It can be intimidating. It can be something that's very, very intimidating where you walk in and you're like, I don't know many people. I'm not sure what's going on. Everybody's standing, sitting, greeting each other. What what might be happening? It can be even something that some of you have walked through and been hurt by the church. The church can hurt people. And so it is an experience where you're like, I view the church as a hurtful place that I do not want to be a part of. I would say for those, and this is kind of my story, the church you've been a part of for so long that it just becomes something we do on a Sunday and we lose vision for what the church is. And that's the experience that our lens has for us, and we view it off of those experiences. We can view the church as a building Right? It's just kind of like a museum or a classroom. We come and we hear teaching. We come and, and we kind of are part of this Sunday morning where we're, we're going to the building. It can become a service. It can become entertainment. Right? Entertainment, how does this fit me? Am I enjoying the service? Am I enjoying what's happening? I'm going to church. Some people, they view church based off their experience as a humanitarian organization, Like a do-good organization that every once in a while gathers together, but mainly they do some good throughout the year. Yes, there's part of that, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but if that's the only piece, we miss the point. And sometimes, this can sometimes be the worst of it all, it's a social club. Like you got to know the right person, you got to be invited to the club to be a part of what's going on. So oftentimes, our experiences lead us to view the church, and it leads us to view the church incorrectly. That God, in his long story short, has a place and a vision and a priority for the church if we see it correctly. And we've been going through the series, and in this long story short, we see it starts in act one, creation, where God creates and it is good. He creates and then he evaluates. Right? God creates mankind. He creates man and woman to have a relationship with them. He creates them to have place and priority in his creation, have a purpose in his creation. Act one happens, Genesis one and two, and then all of a sudden act two comes into place, the curse. And what God created as good is ruined. It's completely ruined. Sin enters into the world That Satan's temptation, man and woman, fell into, and now what God has created to be good and perfect, the relationship he created between him and man, is ruined and completely separated. That moves us into Act 3, and, and praise the Lord for Josiah who led through this. He led through a big chunk of scripture, and basically, God is running after mankind, That what we see is ruined, that God is like, no, I want a relationship with you, I want to make this work, I created you for this, I'm going to run after you, and we see that specifically in the story of a man named Abraham and his family, the Israelites. And So God is running, 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 and then last week we looked at Act 4 on Easter, the cross. What got ruined was redeemed at the cross, that Jesus came to save us from our sins by taking our place on the cross. He redeemed us, the redemption allows us to see our purpose, our place, and our priority again. That, that he wants us to see what he's created us for. And so, what was rooted in creation and ruined at the cross is redeemed at the cross, or wait, what is ruined at the curse is redeemed at the cross and restored through the church. Let me read that again. What was rooted in creation and ruined at the curse is redeemed at the cross and restored through the church. So what we see is what was rooted in creation, the priority, the place, the purpose, is now because of the cross and what Jesus has done for us is fulfilled and restored in the church. Not perfectly, but that is God's vision for the church. And so we're going to run through a lot of different passages. We're going to start in Acts, Acts 2. If you want to turn there, and Acts 2 is where we're going to look at the early church. We're going to say, what is the vision? What is the overarching understanding of the place, priority, purpose of the church? I think there are two ginormous things that we need to see, two big things that we need to see as we run into understanding the church. If you want to turn to Acts 2, that will be the bulk of the scripture. I'm going to hop around to different uh, pieces in the Bible, but that will be where we kind of lean into mostly So Act 5, we start Act 5, just like Josiah was saying about Avengers Endgame, there's different acts to the story. And so now we've hit this climactic point at the cross, right, which is awesome. We celebrate Easter, and we are currently in Act 5. You and me are currently in Act 5, the church. Okay, It's it's still going, but we're going to look at where it started in Acts, the early church. So we even see that Jesus in the gospel of Matthew makes some implications and looks forward to the church. He's talking to his disciples, Matthew 16, 18. This will be on the screen if you want to take a look there. He's talking to his disciples primarily or specifically he's looking at Peter and saying this. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is going to build his church. You can write that down. It's not a point on the screen or anything like that, but Jesus is going to build his church. This is one of the things that I struggle with, that Jesus, he's the one building the church. It's not necessarily us. He's promised us this, but he looks to Peter and says, you're going to play an instrumental part, an instrumental role in that taking place, that I want you to be a leader of this. And so we see that Jesus, uh, after his resurrection, he kind of leaves the disciples, the apostles, with this last statement that we see in Acts 1.8. So he alludes to the church, and then he's saying, this is the vision of the church. And I look to you, Peter, you're going to be a leader of that church. In Acts 1.8, this is what he says, kind of as the last commands before he heads back up to be with the Father in heaven. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses, he says. So, what is the church? The church is this it's a new community of people who have said yes to Jesus, a spirit powered people to be his witnesses, and a movement of people to the entire world. So, it's a new community based on saying yes to Jesus, a a spirit-powered community, and it's a movement. It's not just a building. It's not not just a service. It's not just an event, and it's not just a social club. It is a spirit-powered movement for others to see Jesus. So last uh, week, unfortunately, uh, in Sri Lanka, many of you might have uh, heard about this or saw this on the news, uh, many churches got targeted with Uh, bombings and so on Easter Sunday uh, over 300 people uh, died in Sri Lanka because of bombings and mainly were targeted at churches but some different areas were targeted throughout Sri Lanka and a Christian who happened to be over a Sri Lankan Christian who happened to be over in California made a statement on Facebook via a video about what is going on and, and kind of offering prayer and hope and this is a quote that he said he said this the church is shaken but not broken The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us today. It's shaken, not broken, because it's not about the buildings, the services, it's not about the events or the programs, it's about the people. Yes, yes, what happened over there is tragic and they need hope and prayer, but the Spirit of God is still living in people over there, still living in us. So we're going to look at today, what is the church not only that, what's the vision for the church, and where do we go from here? Acts 2 is where you should be at, and we're going to read a passage in verses 42 to 47. And then, like I said, we just got two big ideas, big ideas to, to leave here from, and then we'll go. Acts 2, 42 to 47, says this, okay? So this is, this is kind of a, lack of a better word, summary of the early church. What is happening in the early church? Jesus has gone back up to heaven with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Powerful picture. In the first point I'll have you write down, it's on the screen. The church is called out to reflect his glory to the world. The church is called out to reflect God's glory to the world. To quote by John Piper, this is what he says, man was created from the beginning in God's image that he might image forth God's glory. That we were created in God's image to reflect God's glory. That's what we were created to do. That's what God had in a vision of creating human beings. And we broke that by sinning. that it it was ruined by sinning. And so in essence, God is saying, because of what was redeemed at the cross and what I'm going to restore in the church, I'm giving you another opportunity, a second chance for this to take place, for you to glorify me with your life and as a church to glorify me. It's another opportunity to live out the vision that was set in creation. So the church itself is a community of people reflecting or imaging forth the glory of God kind of to illustrate and understand this point. I'm a, I'm a football geek, and so this illustration is not perfect. I'll say that out front. It's not a perfect illustration necessarily, but I think it gets the point across. About 30 minutes away is the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So I've been there a handful of times, and it's absolutely amazing. It's, it's a blast for me to go through. If you're not a football fan, I would suggest not buying the tickets and going through it. You wouldn't enjoy it. But uh, if you ever do go, it, it's interesting just the stats and the uh, the numerous players that are through there, the numerous records that are held in there. And so as I walk in, I notice how amazing these guys were in their football careers, right? And so as I walk in and I look at the different stats, the guys that are actually in the Hall of Fame, the records that they, they promote, there is nothing that I personally can add to those stats. There's nothing in my life that when I go, I can say, you know what? What? I can add to Jerome Bettis' stats and make him look a lot better. Like, I I can't stand there and say, hey, excuse me, sir, could you write in here that uh, I had seven touchdowns my senior year of high school and almost 1,000 yards receiving? Like, that will make these Hall of Fame players look a ton better. But what I can do is some of my favorite players are in the Hall of Fame. I'm getting to be that age where the players I watched are in the Hall of Fame. That means I'm getting old. But uh, they're starting to be in the Hall of Fame. What I can do is reflect that glory that they had on the football field by talking about them with different people. Like, hey, do you remember when so-and-so made that pass? Do you remember so-and-so when they made that run? I can even wear their jersey. Like, I can put on their jersey and reflect like, oh, hey, he's wearing so-and-so. Jerome Bettis, he's wearing uh, where it's Joe Montana. That's amazing. Like, I can't believe, you know, what he did in his career. I can let other people know. And that's exactly, and I said not perfect illustration, but that can be how we give glory to God. We cannot add to God's glory. We cannot give anything to God and say, hey, this will make you look a lot better. Hey, this will make you look a lot better to people. So why don't you add what I've done for you to uh, your picture? No, no, no. But what we can do is reflect in how we act, how we treat others, and how we speak, and how we live our life. And so if you're writing points, this is on the screen, but this is a good kind of one liner that we're going to go off of here. We reflect God's glory in the way we respond to him. We, re- we reflect God's glory in the way we respond to him. In verse 47, it says that they praised God. Like they were literally, literally praising God, whether singing songs or just lifting up praises to God of what he's done for them. How we respond to God tells the world what we believe about our God. Right, that, that's powerful. How we respond to him tells the world what we think of him. And so we look in Acts, there's a ton of illustrative points of when they responded to God, and they, they responded to a big God. In Acts 4, they prayed big, big prayers because they believed their God was a big God. In Acts 5, they made bold stands because they believed God was a faithful God. Acts 7, they gave their life up. They literally gave their life up because they thought God was a true God. Acts 16, they sang loud songs even in prison. Because they believed they had a God worth celebrating, even in hard times. Church in Corinth, they gave generously because they believed their God was a generous God. We respond to God in worship, not just when we come Sunday morning to sing songs. That is a piece of it. But we respond to God in how we live and how we praise Him in everyday world. How big is your God? That's the question under here. How big is your God? Do people, when they see you, are they like, wow, they serve a big God? I know that they serve a big God because of how they respond. I know with how they live because they live out of compassion. They live out of love. They live out of grace, out of mercy, out of generosity, that the God they serve is a God beyond my comprehension. That the glory that you're giving is not about yourself, It's not about, look at me and what I've done. Look at what I can do. Look at how much good I am giving. But it's, look at how much good God has given me and the glory that God can get out of your life. How we respond to God every day, whether it's generosity, sacrifice, praise, or in prayer, that is how we give glory to God. We can't add to it. We can't fill it up. We can just reflect it. Second thing under that, we reflect God's glory in the way we relate to each other. This is extremely important, that we reflect, how, uh, we reflect God's glory, how we relate to each other, how we interact with each other, how we treat one another. In verses 42 to 47 in Acts 2, we see that the people were together. They were in fellowship. They gave to one another. No one was in need. They perfectly, well, as close to perfect as they can be, to make sense of relating to each other. Like, we want each other to be loved and forgiven and feel compassion and kindness. Ultimately, we need to be a part of living in community, living in the family, and loving each other in that family. John 13, 34 to 35, this is kind of Jesus talking to his disciples, leaving them with a new command. This is where he says, "...a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." I think Jesus was hitting a very clear point. If you love each other, others will know that you're connected to me and connected to each other. They'll know you're connected to the church, that you've said yes to me with how you love each other. And so, how does that look? What is a very applicable way of how that looks? Two passages kind of flesh that out. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it's the love passage. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. How do we love? We love by being patient, kind. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Paul is writing to the church, says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What would it look like to love each other so much so that others see the compassion, the kindness, the generosity out of our love for each other. Now, this, this, I work with middle school and high school, and so this next point is something that I wrestle with them all the time about, that how we relate to each other is not based solely or mainly based on our interest or what our opinions are or what we enjoy doing, and that's how we connect to each other. And a lot of times we pot up to those we have the same interests with, to those that have the same opinions as us, those believe the same things about us, whatever it may be. No, we purely relate to each other on the basis of saying yes to Jesus and following after Jesus. It's about who we follow. Now, I'm not saying that you can't relate to each other off the interests that you might have. That's a great connecting point. But there are, there are bases for how we connect with each other and one of those That is an easy application is getting into a grace group. Like a grace group is a great small community to get connected to. And you don't have to have the same interests necessarily or the same opinions about all this other outside stuff, but that you connect and start connecting based off of your relationship with Jesus. That's an easy way to relate to each other. And then off of that, how you treat each other. That's how people are going to see the glory of God that we so much so love each other no matter what our interests are like because we all believe in Jesus and we all are following after Jesus. Right? So we reflect God's glory by responding to God and then relating to, e- to each other. The second big idea, the second big point is this. The church is called out to multiply his goodness in the world. So we see glory to God and then multiply his goodness goodness. Now, uh, recognize this, the church has not always been great at doing this. Okay? We've seen multiple, hundreds and thousands of examples of churches and time periods where the church did not do well at this. But throughout the Bible and throughout the story of God, we see God's character flesh out and we understand kind of his goodness and how we should multiply that goodness, even though as humans we can't perfectly do it. So in Acts 1, 1 through 2, it says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is Luke writing, and so he wrote the book of Luke. He's saying, I wrote uh, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So, Jesus started and is letting us finish. It's like, I've started this goodness thing, I've started multiplying this goodness, and I want you to continue it, and I want you to finish it as your life finishes. Multiply, multiply, multiply goodness. Two ways to do that. We multiply his goodness by demonstrating his character in the world. This is huge. We multiply his goodness by demonstrating his character in the world. And where do we find the character of God uh, so visible? That's in Jesus. We read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see God's character extremely visible in the person of Jesus. Jesus ran into messes. Jesus ran into those who were hurt and going through pain. Jesus ran into those who were on the fringes, those who were found unlovable, those who were sick, those who were cast away. Jesus ran into those situations. People like the woman at the well, who married so many different times and she wasn't even with her husband at that point. He ran into people like Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who everybody hated tax collectors in that day and age. And so he was found as a sinner. We hate this guy. And Jesus interacted with him. He ran into prostitutes. He ran into the blind and the deaf. He ran into people who were running through messes. He decided to help them out. The character of God is seen through how Jesus interacted with people. John 14, 12 says this, very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus promises those who believe in him will continue to do the works even greater than him. That's a pretty bold statement. So he's saying, church, I am allowing you to do greater things than I could do on this earth. Like he's allowing us to do that. It's amazing that he gives us the privilege to do goodness in this world, to multiply goodness so that others see who he is, right? We need to recognize the goodness of God in our life to eventually express it. We need to experience it to be able to express that and and show that to the world. Things like, for for you all, for ourselves, the bike event that's coming up. Uh, the Fix-A-Bike event, that's an awesome event to multiply God's goodness into the world, that you are helping, we are helping people fix their bikes. As simple as that. We are, we are reaching out to the community and saying, we want you to come and be a part of something fun. We want to serve you in a different way, right, by fixing bikes and by interacting with you. And so as you run into that event It shouldn't be just something that we kind of get through and we have to do on a Saturday evening. No, it's a way that we can look and say, how am I going to multiply goodness? Not only if I'm fixing bikes, not only if I'm at the bounce house serving food, but how am I talking and relating to people? How am I praying for people? How am I helping people so that, listen, so that, not that. Grace Church, who we can be praised, but that God can be praised. And eventually that those people that you interact with get to hear the good news of Jesus. That's the hope, that, that not only we help and multiply, but eventually they'll hear the good news of Jesus. And that's the second part, that we multiply his goodness by communicating God's message to the world. We multiply his goodness by communicating God's message to the world. In Acts 1.8, like we read before, uh, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that we are his witnesses not only here, but there and everywhere, that it reaches far and wide how we communicate the good news of Jesus. We see this in the book of Acts. The good news of Jesus is proclaimed in Acts 2. 3,000 people 3,000 people came to know Jesus at one time. Acts 5, even in persecution, says that they never stopped proclaiming Jesus. Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian, it goes down to the individual level, that, that the Ethiopian came to know Jesus because Philip proclaimed the good news of Jesus to him. In Acts 9 through 28, the rest of the book, we see that Paul travels around and he proclaims the gospel to everyone. Ultimately, the church is witnesses to in the entire world. If we miss this point, we miss the entire vision of the church. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he gives them some very applicable and some neat, neat wording to understand what it means to be witnesses to the church. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 should be on the screen. It says this, "...so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer." Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Means when you say yes to Jesus, that the old way of sin is gone, the old life is gone, new life, new creation, new family. It's an awesome, awesome thing. Goes on to say in verse 18: all this is from God who reconciled us. We looked at that. Uh, Easter last week to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, right, Christ dying on the cross for us, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors of the reconciliation that we've received. We have this new title. If you've said yes to Jesus, you become an ambassador, uh, a messenger of God. That should blow our minds that God would use us sinful, messy humans to proclaim His message to other human beings. If you think about it, God's powerful enough. He'd come down and change everything. But that he wants a relationship with us and wants us to have a role and a purpose in this world. And as the church, he says, you are my ambassadors. And you're running and chasing after people. He says, implore. Implore people to be reconciled to God. Like, that is our calling, that we are running after people so they see Jesus. They see the goodness that Jesus has given to us so that they can experience the goodness themselves. I... Like I said, I hang out with middle school and high school students all the time, and one of the things that I challenge them to do is to think of three people, sometimes two or one person, that, that they know uh, does not know Jesus. Three people in their life that do not know Jesus, right? It could be a neighbor, it could be a friend, uh, someone on the same sports team as them, a family member, someone that sits next to them in school, someone they have a relationship with. My challenge to them is this. It's not original to me. My challenge to them is this. As an ambassador, do three things. Pray for them. On a daily basis, pray for them. Yeah, pray for their needs. Pray for what's going on in life and pray that Jesus would so tug at their heart to say yes to him. Two, care for them, right? Maybe there's needs in their life that they need to be met. Serve them. Allow them to see the goodness of God by how you interact with them. Help them out. And then lastly, share. And I have three that I pray for, that uh, hopefully I'm caring for, and I get to the point of sharing. And I say sharing means that you in your relationship with them are the ability to share the good news of Jesus with them, that they would come to know Jesus as their savior. Like I said, it's not original, but it's a way to frame around how are we gonna be ambassadors in this world? And so I would challenge you, who are those three people in your life? That as the church, you individually are the church and collectively we are the church. That we are running after people in our neighborhoods. We do series like neighboring. You're running after people at your businesses. You're running after people in your family. You're running after friends. You're running after people that maybe clubs that you're in or different community organizations you're in. You're running after people that need to know Jesus. We're being ambassadors, sharing the good news of Jesus. And as we end, as we end, the good news of Jesus is so fixated on the glory and goodness of God. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so fixated on the glory and goodness of God, it was rooted in creation, it was redeemed at the cross. Last week, we saw the glory of God in what he did at the cross and the resurrection. We saw the goodness of God in our lives so that he would so willingly send his son to die for us wretched sinners so that we could have life and a relationship with him should blow our minds each and every day. Our God's that good. And so where do we go from here? How do we respond? For some of us, for some of us, it's it's seeing how we can reflect the glory of God in our lives. Maybe that's by responding to God. What what is taking up the worship, the time and energy in your life? Is it God? Are you praising a big God or is God just a fraction of your life, not the center of it? Not just the Sunday morning, not just I listen to Christian music, not just I own a Bible, but I am praising God with everything and when people look at me, they see Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's getting into a community and we, we reflect God's glory by relating to each other and maybe that's getting into a grace group. That you need to get into a smaller community and start relating to each other. Maybe that's just how you treat family members. Maybe that's how you treat friends, treat each other in the church. You're saying, you know what, I need to forgive someone. I need to show someone compassion, kindness. I need to be uh, gracious, have generosity, and ultimately love for those who are part of the church. And maybe that's where we need to start. For others, maybe it's multiplying God's goodness, you got this bike event coming up. That is a very applicable way to multiply God's goodness here in the next couple of weeks. Jump into that. Write on the cards where you want to be, what you can serve with, how you can how you get involved in that. It's an awesome way to multiply his goodness. Right? Well, I don't have time. Or, or, you know what, I don't know if I want to get involved in that or that person's life is really messy. And God's like, nah, I jumped into your life. I jumped into your life and I... Out of the overflow of my love and goodness, said, I'm going to send my son. And so as the church, we don't become comfortable and sit back and say, well, I come Sunday morning. No, no, how can we jump into the messes so that they see God's goodness? And then ultimately, the question is, who are your three? Who are people in your life that you personally are an ambassador to, that you can pray for, care for, and ultimately share with the good news of Jesus. No where you're at on that spectrum, where, where are you running as a church? For some of you, for some of you, this church thing, you're, you're not necessarily a part of the church yet. You haven't said yes to Jesus yet. And I hope today, and I hope today that you got to see what the church is all about and the vision for the church and that you got an accurate view of what the church is. That the glory of God be reflected and that, the goodness is supposed to be multiplied. And for you, maybe you today are processing through what it means to say yes to Jesus and jump into the family called the church. We would love for you to do that. We'd love for you to believe in what Jesus has done for you, the goodness that he's given us and the glory that God proclaimed on the cross and become a part of the family, the community of the church and experience it with us. If that's a decision that you're processing, thinking through, write on the little red card, grab myself or another one of the staff members, Pastor Jonathan, John, talk to us afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation. But if you're a part of the church, what would it look like to think through these things as we navigate, navigate this long story short together, All right? Why don't we pray together? You Close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and as the worship team comes up and Leads us in a few songs here.